All right, so before we jump into In the Cards and Call to Arms, which obviously are two very important and interesting episodes of Deep Space Nine, we... They're so interesting, we're talking about them <laughs> twice. That is correct. So uh, this is actually the second time we're recording this podcast. Uh, this has actually never happened before on Trek About. Is it recording right now? Just make sure. Yeah, it's recording. I think it is. Um, we had a, a podcast that I thought went missing uh, a couple seasons ago, which did not. Uh, this time, uh, the podcast recorded, but uh, it was just nice. It was like... Oh, my God. We turned into Breen. Yeah. Yeah. We we actually did the whole podcast uh, in character as Breen, but it didn't work. So, Or it worked too well. Or it worked too well. So as longtime listeners of, of Trek About know, we have had a Patreon uh, for a few months now, and, and that's been great. We have uh, uh, quite a few monthly supporters, which we love you all, and uh, we, we love you whether or not you can give us money, frankly. But, um, you know, the Patreon is really for recurring costs. It's for hosting podcasts. It's for hosting the website. Um, it's for things like that, paying for our Netflix account so we can actually watch what we're talking about and bring it to you. So I've known for a while, and Richard has known for a while, that uh, the mixer that we use for this podcast is unfortunately dying. We've had a lot of problems with it, but mixers are expensive, and neither one of us can afford to, uh, to, to buy one. So we know that we've gotten people out there that have said, look, I'd like to give you money, but I don't want to give it to you monthly. I can't afford to give it to you monthly. Uh, so we set up a GoFundMe at GoFundMe.com slash show. Um, we couldn't do this on Patreon only because Patreon only takes money from uh, monthly donors or per post. And that didn't make any sense because we don't post anything on Patreon. We podcast. So if you would like to go there, gofundme.com slash truckaboutshow, you can see exactly uh, what mixer we want to buy. Um, there's also some other little things in there like new pop filters and stuff like that, which we've needed for a while. Um, we're just kind of throwing it all into the same pot. Obviously, the mixer is the most important thing that we need money for, um, and it will obviously benefit the show because we will be able to continue making it. Uh, I am sure that with the mixer having all of these problems, this will happen again and again, and oh uh, I would like it not to. <laughs> <laughs> is it recording still? It's still recording, as far as I know. Um, yeah, and if you would like us not to keep asking that question, that yeah. would be really good. So just ask that like every five minutes this episode. Yeah, okay. Don't really spur people on. But yeah, if you'd like to toss us a buck or two or yeah, I mean, you 45, know what? that would be nice. 45 would be great. A um, dollar, $5, $10, anything you can give, um, especially if you've never wanted to give monthly. And again, we understand why not. Um, if you just want to give us a couple bucks to help us get to a new mixer, that would be very much appreciated. And uh, as a token of our support and, and love and appreciation, if you do give us uh, uh, some money on the GoFundMe, uh, we will send you one patron special Ooh. of Richard's choice. My choice? Yes, your choice. Oh, cool. I'm I want to make you feel included. One. All the, right. The best one, exactly. Uh, you'll get one. So uh, that's just a little bit of incentive from us to you. It'll be this all musical fit. Uh, patron episode where we sing yeah yeah i i I played the theremin that's it that's our spiel that's our fundraising spiel again gofundme.com slash track about show uh and now let's redo in the cards and call to arms so this is what everyone's been meaning when they've been saying like oh shit's gonna go down you say that like every week now. It's I know because shit be keeps going true. down. Yeah, no, this is pretty much it. I mean, this is the start of the Dominion War. And yeah. I know you have heard that phrase before. Yeah, and especially this season. But uh, this season, it's been 
like the entire season feels like it's been spent at the eve of the Dominion War. It's been something which has been a couple seasons coming on the horizon, but now it, it's it's it, here. It's it's gone from cold to it's a hot war now. Is it? Is it ever <laughs> that way? Un, let me tell you. Oh yeah, I saw him in person last month at Star Trek convention. Man, still looks great. I like Wayun so much. Like, yeah. Well, you're supposed to like him, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the entire point of Wayun is that he is that sort of sycophantic toady that you know precedes all uh, uh, fascist states, essentially. Yeah, but I mean, and and there's a degree to which I think Wayun seems to genuinely like ds9 and the people on that like i think he's you know somewhat fond of cisco like just if the two of them weren't on opposite sides of the war Wayne would want to be friends with him well you know which may, may want to hang on for that because there there might be an episode where they go to risa oh well you know and i don't want to get too too far ahead no, of no, our no. you know we still do have to talk about in the cards before we deal with call to arms it, you know it's... but i think that's it's it's a measure of the difference between the two episodes not that in the cards was a bad episode no. at all. I liked it very much, but obviously given the choice between the two episodes, that is the, that that's the pre the, the prologue to this. Well, I would say, I mean, call to arms. Sorry. I really want to talk about call to arms. Uh, in the cards is, I really like it. It's one yeah. of my favorite episodes of the show. It's one that I watch quite a bit just because it is so entertaining. You know, it is, it's a slight episode. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's doing a couple of interesting things. I think it's, Star Trek actually doing comedy and doing it well and competently, which is always something that that the franchise struggles with, frankly. But also, it it is doing some interesting things about you know kind of swapping the A and the B story. You know, the A story is the quote unquote comedy one, and the B story is really the the serious one. Yeah, you know, in a sense, because the A story is this plot about uh, a Jake and Nog trying to get this baseball card to cheer up Captain Cisco, and the B story is, hey, here's the Dominion wanting to sign a non-aggression pact with Bajor. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that they bring up that plot line, which is a major plot line, which is kind of the, again, the culmination of several plot lines. This is part of the, uh, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but this is the visions that... uh Cisco had from Rapture are, you know, we're finally understanding what they mean and why, you know, Bajor can't get what should not have been in the Federation and that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it it's nice because, you know, what you're seeing here and, and you know, really too, um, you know, since we did uh, uh, record this podcast already and we're doing it again, I had a little bit more time to think about things and things that I wish I had said, which always happens. Um, so now you're almost getting like a little bit of a, you know, sneak peek into my brain as Ooh. it were. But one of the things that I think is really um, kind of forgotten about about Deep Space Nine, because everyone thinks, oh, the Dominion War, the Dominion War, it's such a big part of the show. And it is, but it also really came very late in the show's run. I mean, think about where TNG was at the end of the fifth season going into its sixth season. Yeah. I mean, the be its best days were behind it at that point. The show was still quite good the show still had quite a number of good episodes but the number of unabashed out and out classics had dropped quite a bit i mean i don't think that i can think of many episodes from season six and seven of tng that i would consider like the best of the best whereas you know we don't know what's going to happen with with deep space nine of course it, it season six and seven may be terrible 
But but it is a very, very fundamental change to the status quo of the show. Yeah, and I guess in a lot of ways, by season six and seven, it was very clear that the plots they were doing, there were a lot of where it was, you know, this is an idea that had shopped been since season three that they couldn't figure out how to work, and then they finally made it. Or, I mean, it was very clear towards the latter seasons that they were running out of ideas and that they were tired. And Of TNG, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And here we have in DS9 is the opposite of them being out of ideas. Again, they are – they're introducing new plot lines. They're culminating new plot lines. They're giving it a very different energy now. And yeah. And I really like that because it shows that the show – again, wh- whether or not it will succeed at these plot lines and I get the sense it's going to more succeed than fail – over the course of the next two seasons. Um, it actually becomes worse than TNG season one. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. And I think that, you know, if you look at the way that the show has really developed, and, and I, I promise that we will deal within the cards, but, you know, let's dispense with all of our, you know, uh, uh, yeah. grandiose ramblings about television structure. But I, I think that if you look at the way in which Deep Space Nine kind of developed in, in you know, almost in, in response to TNG, you know, that... They wanted to do this whole Dominion thing. The Jem'Hadar appeared in the second um, uh, season finale. And then they sort of had this weird side tangent in the fourth season with the, the Klingons and all of this stuff, bringing Worf in, having to integrate him into the cast and the, and the crew of, the, of, of Deep Space Nine. And, you know, the Dominion War, as we talked about before, was something that they wanted to get to earlier and the Klingon stuff was kind of handed down from on high by Paramount because they felt like they wanted to goose the ratings a little bit. Mm. So they did put a lot of that stuff on hold or, or, or more of it on hold than, than perhaps they, they were going to. You know, if that had not happened, if Worf had never joined the cast, perhaps the Dominion War would have started at the end of season four or the middle of season five. But we're not really talking about a huge change to the direction of the show. And I do, Frank, thinking about it, I do like that they held it off for another season it or works so. yeah um, yeah because i mean from frankly from both sides um i mean star trek in general believes that war is the last uh violence is the last resort and so of course it's going to make sense that the out and out war that's in the series is going to be the last possible action once diplomacy has utterly failed between these two groups then it's finally going to happen yeah and yeah, I, I I guess the the it heightens the tragedy of it almost. Yeah, it does because I mean there really is nowhere else for for it to go. Yeah. Um. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So so let's talk about about in the cards because as you said, it is uh, the episode that kind of it doesn't it doesn't cap the the Bajor stuff with the Dominion. I mean that comes next episode, but it does have a nice through line as you said with Rapture, where Bajor was suddenly going to join the Federation, which you know wasn't that sudden, but it seemed sudden yeah. in terms of oh the show remembers that this was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, you know, Cisco torpedoing that and then, you know, saying, you know, Bajor is, go- you know, is going to be uh, uh, destroyed or something. Yeah, there, joins he, the Federation. he has this le- he has this vision of a bunch of locusts going towards Bajor and going past and going to Cardassia. And then he says that the um, Bajor can't join the Federation or it'll be destroyed. So obviously we've learned at this point that the locusts were the Dominion, the Dominion. fleet going towards Cardassia to occupy it. Right. And well, yeah. well, to, you know, yeah, occupy is a strong word. But yeah. And then, of course, as we reveal in, in, in this episode and the next episode, because the tension is really heightening, is that 
if Bajor had joined the Federation, Bajor would have been the first Federation planet yeah. to fall to the Dominion, essentially. I mean, there's no way that the Dominion would not have invaded Bajor at the end of, of Call to Arms. Yeah, of course. So, And as Kai, you know, Kai Wynn has that figure, she's saying, you know, can you promise me that, you know, the Federation won't let any Jem'Hadar troops at all onto, onto Bajor? And he's not able to promise that. You know, in terms of hard strategy... Bajor is really only important because it's kind of the first, it's the closest to the wormhole at that point. Yeah. Um, it isn't a Federation base. It isn't a major resource center or anything like that. And so there, and it isn't a major planet in the Federation if it had been in the Federation. So it is kind of true. Places like Earth and, uh, she and, mentions Andor. Yeah. She mentions Berengaria. Sure. Yeah. Vulcan, of course. Like these are interestingly, I don't think she mentions Vulcan. Huh. But, that's, but you know, you know, just in terms of, you know, if I were a Dominion, you know, general planning and attack, those would be important targets to get to. Yeah. Those would be where the Federation is going to concentrate the bulk of their defenses. I mean, Kaiwin's Kai point is very well taken, and Cisco even, you know, kind of agrees with that. Yeah, and, you know, I want to talk about Cisco and, and Kaiwin in this episode because I do think that their relationship is evolving in an interesting way, you know. Kai, Kai Wynn has always been more of a villainous character than anything else, but she's always had her own agenda, which you can kind of understand. And in this episode, in, called, in, in, in the cards, I think that you see a little bit of a beaten Kai Wynn. You see a little bit yeah. of a scared Kai Wynn. Well, there's... You know, she's, she's coming to the station. She wants to meet with Captain Sisko. And, you know, this is a this is a person who tried to become, you know, both the, the head of the Bajoran religion and the head of the Bajoran government, succeeded briefly, and then got beaten back. So, you know, she's someone who kind of has, I think, obviously, you well, know, over the first three years of the show or five years of the show, she was someone who um, wanted power very strongly, got it, and now she was kind of beaten back, and she's a well, little bit beaten up by that. I think I think it's a little further than that. I mean, she is a person who is... It, to a degree, I think of her as, as a little bit of a backseat driver. Oh, if I were Kai, if I were the head of the Bajoran government, here is what I would do. It would be easy. You know, I, I, w- I, yeah. I would do what's best for. And she is excellent in the kind of manipulations that are needed in order to grab power. Except once she gets there, suddenly we're – I mean, and she's also dealing with this Dominion War several years after the Cardassian occupation. So, I mean, frankly – I think there is a little more on her plate than she was quite capable of doing. She couldn't really have foreseen the Dominion War. Maybe if she knew that that would have come, you know, happened, she wouldn't have tried to grab power so easily. But I don't think she's a good. She's not a good time, good wartime consigliere yet, to a degree. But I also, yeah, I agree with all of that. But I also think that she knows who her real enemies are yeah. at this point. I mean, yeah, she probably still doesn't really like Cisco. She doesn't, you know, she still has enemies in 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 the Vedic Assembly and on Bajor. But there is an indication on her part or a glimmer of understanding. I think, especially yeah. in that scene with uh, with Wayun, oh, you know, where. Man. They've discussed the non-aggression treaty, and she's said that she's going to take it back to the Vedic Assembly. And you know, yeah. Cisco has told her to stall because Bajor needs to keep its options open. And you know, Wayun says to her, "You know, uh, 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 you know, we're very much alike." And she just looks at him very coldly, and she says, "We're nothing alike." I love we we we've seen her do windburns on other people. 
and it's it's amazing seeing her do it on 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 someone that's an antagonist of the show like that is but it, again it's 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 more than her just looking at him and saying that you know first of all when she is leaving Cisco after their conversation she grabs his ear and you know feels his paw and you know draws some strength from the emissary's uh, soul to a degree when she says that to Wayun first off she grabs his own ear and feels yeah. Wayun's paw for a second and. I can only, by the way, imagine how horrifying that must feel to her because Wei Yun is a clone of a clone of a species that's subservient. The like he must have a very disturbing pot to feel, in a way. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that's that is that is an amazing scene. I think Kai Win finally knows who she is and what really her. The role of Bejor is in the galaxy. There's, she, she finally kind of has. I think Wayne. Uh, I think Kai Win finally has a bit of perspective on everything. And I mean, I really love that that one line where Cisco says, "Like, oh, the Dominion is very good at political intrigue," and she almost half embarrassedly says, "You know, I have some experience in that arena too." Like. She's finally admitted, look, I did some really awful things to get here, you know, I've done my share, and that was the game, and now here's real. And, yeah. I, and, you know, we're, we're, everybody's playing beyond my level, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, well, I don't know if I would agree that she's out. I mean, I think that she's... Uh, well, she's not in, you know, in a way, this is this this war isn't about her anymore. Well, yeah, but it never was. I mean, I think that what she's, I mean... Her rise to power was about her. Yeah, I think. Well, I think what you're seeing here is kind of her um, her realization that that her route to power is no longer available to mm. her. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that she realizes again that this is more important than her, and it is more important than even Bajor. And you know, there are larger forces at work, and you know, she's recognizing that. Yeah, and and I think I do want to. This show has made it very clear that. In a lot of ways, Wynne has some incorrect ideas, but her heart in a lot of ways is in the right place. She does have a great love for Bajor. She's sincere in her devotion to the prophets. Yeah, um, but Hitler liked Germany a No, lot. I know, but I mean, I, I – no, uh, and, and that's true. I'm not saying it completely makes her all right, but um, – I mean, let's not forget she did plot with – the the circle all the way back in oh, the yeah. beginning of the second season, which everyone has forgotten. But you know, hey, whatever. No, no, no. The, there there are things about her. I mean, I don't think that she is a good person. She, I know, and I, I I guess I don't want to make it clear that she, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm saying it's a little more complex than she's good or bad. She's done some horrible Deep Space Nine complex, right? Well, no, but but that's yeah. one of the reasons that you know she's a secondary you know antagonist, and she's an extraordinary complex figure. And yeah. That's one of the reasons that I like this show. Well, and it's one of, I mean, maybe the final point about this, and we can move on to, to something else, is that um, I think that in this episode especially, you know, certainly she's, I don't know that she's, I mean, she's played a little more flatly, and I think she's kind of tired. You know, her writing is a little bit more muted, but I also think that she appears to be less of an antagonist in, in the cards 
because the Dominion are in it. Yes. Do you and know what I mean? Like yes. just because of the juxtaposition there, the comparison there, you know, she hasn't really been in an episode um, with an antagonist like that before. Yeah, it's true. I mean, usually, it's, unless it's usually like Dolce or someone. Well, usually she's the antagonist. And, right. That's, and what, it, I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. When there's a bigger antagonist in the, in the court, she doesn't really seem that bad. Yeah. So, but I guess, I mean, the other thing too, I mean, is that, we have kind of, you know, dealt, I think, with the the more serious stuff. We'll obviously get into the Dominion more when we talk about Call to Arms. But as a as an episode that comes right before the the table setting, the really status quo upsetting episode, the the season finale that's going to move us into the the Dominion War. Yeah, I like it. I think it works. I mean, I think that again, it does comedy very well. There's some nice beats to it. The the Cisco and I could watch Jake and Nog running around the station doing favors for for the crew uh, all day. Essentially, I mean, I think that that's one of the more uh, successful bits of of comedy that the show has ever done, and everybody's really game for it. But it ties in really nicely to what's been going on with everything else. I mean, the episode starts out with all of them at the party, very depressed. Yeah. You know, Worf is standing in a corner staring at a statue. <laughs> you know, there's no one is really happy. And I think it's nice that Jake is realizing that there's a way that maybe he can make everybody happy. Well, yeah. Again, we, we've talked about is DS9 a cynical show? Is it optimistic as Trek? And this is a very – I'd say the Jake and Nog plot line is very optimistic. It does show that even in the middle of this morale being extremely low uh, for obvious reasons, it is the people's connections to each other that is what you know gets them through that and – Jake essentially, you know, he by doing this one thing and by inadvertently he, having his episode be about doing random nice things or little favors for all of the crew that makes their lives just that little bit better that, you know, I, I don't know. I guess in the middle of – at the end of the day, Deep Space Nine is very clear that there are things which, you know, even in the middle of the Dominion War, you can still have dignity and love and connection to other people and that's – you know why this is all worth it. Well, we'll see that more clearly next season. Of perhaps. course, you know this wasn't the Dominion War yet. No, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that I mean, you know, I don't know how much there is to say about it because really, it's just kind of a, a light little comedy stuff. Um, I mean, everything was everyone's very game to do it. Everyone's very excited to do it. I think, and you know, Jake and Nog are certainly entertaining, running around the station, accusing Kai Wynn of of, <laughs> of crimes, and you know, doing all kinds of insane things like that, being abducted by Wayun. You know, it's it is nice. I think it also does really speak to, you know, Jake's love for his father and their kind of relationship. Um, Yeah, it's nice. I mean, you know, it's I mean, I like that it's a very well constructed episode in that it is a bunch of pieces that are put together. The first of all, the initial favors that everybody asks and we see them all being, uh, you know, Worf listening to his operas, for example, you know, on all of them, you know, all of that stuff. But um, I really like how the two stories connect at the end when Wayun ends up, you know, kid. It almost seems like these are stories in two different, you know, on two different shows for a little bit, but they do connect. And I do really like the characterization of Wayun as. I don't know. He is a very serious figure. He certainly has very scary people behind him. Uh, But at the same time, he is a very weird and almost whimsical kind of figure in his own way. And so... He almost looks like a cartoon character. Yeah. He... he, He's got big eyes. (laughs) 
he's very childlike in some ways, which makes sense given that he's a newly hatched clone, but he likes all of these odd novelty physical pleasures. He's the kind of person who enjoys Dabo and, you know, everything that's either said. So, of course, this batshit quack scientist is going to be fascinating to him. Yeah. Well, we haven't really talked about Dr. Geiger, and again, I don't know how much there is to say about him because he is just a joke. But it is nice that I think one of the smart things the episode does is make him not threatening at all. You know, you, you could definitely see a version of this episode where it's revealed that what he's doing is very nefarious or something. Yeah. But that would have been terrible and it would not have worked. And it, it is nice that they, I think everyone recognizes how much of a crackpot he is except for Wayu. Now, of course, that's part of the joke. Well, for about five minutes there, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is actually really bad that he's in the Dominion's hands. What if? I'm like, no, at this point, the Dominion has so much technology that's evil that even if this is evil, it's not really going to turn the cards one way or another, number one. Yeah, and the show is undercutting his theories at at every turn. I mean, there's no way that he's actually going to, to do this. We're not talking about a Dr. Soon character. No, but wouldn't it be hell of a thing if it turned out to be right? Um, like, what I if this suppose. is what if this is the thing that ends up fixing the Gem Hadar? Like, uh, uh, Tetracel White just you know re entertains the cells, and without it, uh, Gem Hadar just get very bored and die. Your your future speculation about the the direction of Deep Space Nine is is getting a little weak. Well, maybe my cells are kind of bored right now. <laughs> Is there anything else to say about on the cards? It's not as good as this next episode. Yeah, I feel like we're not we're giving short shrift in the cards, but you know, I mean, it's it's a comedy it's, episode. Uh, it, it made me laugh, but it's it's the it's the appetizer. Yeah, this is the meat. Okay, well, let's talk about call to arms then. Yeah, because you seem to really want to talk about it, so talk about it. So yamik sauce. Oh, that's where you're going? Yeah. Is yamak sauce sauce that you put on yamak, or is it sauce that's made out of yamak? It's sauce that's made out of yamak, obviously. This is an interesting—I don't know. This is a hard episode to angle into beyond the yamak sauce because I I guess I'd like to start talking maybe about the prophecy, uh, about why Bejor not being in the Federation—I don't know, because— to a degree, the non-aggression treaty is only honored by the Dominion's whim, right? Like, if yeah. if, 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 if Bejor is not going to do anything, but if the if the Dominion suddenly decides that the they they want to attack Bejor, they're going to, and you know who's going to stop them? Well, I think that there's a lot of, in, I mean, there's a lot of, of of conflicting things going on there. So, you know, essentially, what happens in this episode is the actual plot of the episode is not very complicated at all. I mean, no. they're sending convoys through the wormhole. Cisco's like, this has to stop. They mine the wormhole. The war starts. Uh, but there's obviously a lot of shit yeah. and there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about in there. But I think that where you need to look at that is saying, like, why would the Dominion approach Bejor to sign a non-aggression treaty? I think, number one, they want access to the wormhole. Yeah. That's part of it, right? I mean... If they declare war against the Federation or the war starts and Bejor is allied with the Federation, that's going to cause problems for them more than mm-hmm. if Bejor had not uh, signed the non-aggression treaty. But on the other hand as well, you have to look at it and you say, I don't think that Wayun and Gold Dukat like each other very much. Yeah. I think that we haven't really talked a lot about Gold Dukat's 
uh, goals in joining the Dominion. I think the Gul Dukat thing, his his goals, very good. Thank you. I think his... It took us six seasons to get to this point. <laughs> five seasons, not six. Well, but we completed the five seasons, so it's six full seasons. No, that's not how math works. Um, I don't think that Gul Dukat really realized what it was going to mean to join the Dominion. I think he thinks, oh, well, we're getting all these ships and we're going to be able to reinvade with them yeah and it's like wayun took every opportunity in this episode to remind gold ducat that no cardassia does not exist anymore like you're part of the dominion you don't have a say in what you do anymore and i don't think gold ducat realizes that and i also well, yeah think that, wait well when wayun says you know oh i have a fine working relationship with gold ducat it's code for you know we know how to slap gold ducat down anytime he says the wrong thing yeah because what are they gonna do yeah you know i mean i think it's real. the the key to this is the scene when they're they go th- you know you have goldicott and wayu and are on the ship and they're you know trying to take ds9 and goldicott's talking is like oh we're gonna get bejor next and we even say well no we have a non-aggression treaty with them like and goldicott's like well you don't know we're gonna do that and Wayne's like no you, you don't understand. You you don't get to make these orders like you're under. At this point, the Dominion is going to honor every single word of their non-aggression treaty with Bajor just to prove to Gardassia, no, yeah. we're not your fucking army. You're our army. Yeah. You yeah. go where we said. I think that's a very interesting way of doing it. But, you know, yeah, they, they, they're going to keep Bajor... They're not going to scratch Bajor because they need to dominate Cardassia that much. Yeah, I think it's partly that, of course, and it's partly also that they need access to the wormhole. Well, yeah. And I think there's two. But that's really what is so, I think, nicely brilliant about it, which is that it slots very nicely into Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine's ability to, you know, tie the personal with these sort of larger, you know, galactic or, or philosophical questions. You know, yeah, the Dominion wants access to the wormhole. Signing a treaty with, with Bajor gets them access to it. However, at the same time, it's also a good way for them to fuck over Gold Dukat. Well, yeah, I mean, the, all of these, it's very nice when the stars align in a certain way. And I think usually the one of the, the Dominion, I would say, works very hard to make sure that these things align in this certain way. Yeah. Uh, because, again, let's face it, they waited several seasons before starting the war. And frankly, I think the war starts slightly earlier than the Dominion would have perhaps wanted. Well, I think that one of the things that you see in this episode particularly, and you kind of see this throughout Star Trek, I think, is that uh, people underestimate the Federation. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before. I don't know exactly how much we need to talk about it again. But to recap, you know, the Federation is a... We all know what the Federation is, but it's peaceful. They're sending out ships for exploration. They believe everyone acts in good faith. You know, they don't believe in war as a first resort. They believe in war as a last resort. You know, these are very, it's very, it's a very nice place, essentially. Yeah. And uh, um, the Romulans have, have discounted the Federation. The Basically, every enemy that the Federation has discounted in the past has come to regret it. There's even a line in this episode where Gul Dukat, you know, Wayun says, you know, how are they... Uh, how are their shields still up? You know, their shields have always proven ineffective. And, and what Gold Ducat says something like, you know, I, I've never uh, uh, found it a good idea to underestimate the, the technical abilities of Starfleet well, yeah. of the Federation. And no matter what, how peaceful the Federation is, they still have people who are going to invent pulse rifles with 12 separate settings. I right. mean, they, they're going to 
the best and the brightest are in Starfleet, and when you get the best and the brightest to explore and be diplomatic, you're going to get Captain Picard. Uh, but you also have, you know, and especially post-Borg and especially in the Dominion era, um, the Federation, if it puts the best on it and it's brightest on weapons and defense, it's going to get some really strong weapons and defense. Yeah, and I mean, you have to look at it and you say, okay, they have the resources of 150 member worlds and who knows how many yeah. colonies, you know, all yeah. these kind of things. And of course, the other part of that, too, is that, uh, you know, I think that the Dominion is still a new player on the galactic stage in this part of the galaxy. doesn't really understand that, doesn't know the Federation. Well, yeah. They've obviously learned very quickly, but... They're not on their own turf. They're no not on their what. own turf. And also, I think that they they thought incorrectly that the Federation was just going to let the ships come through. And they're actually, they're obviously incorrect. You know, the, the, the worm, I mean, I think that in, in a certain sense, the mining of the wormhole is a nice way to sort of shunt that aside for a little while. We don't have to deal with the wormhole for, you know, however long it takes them to figure yeah. out um, um, how to defeat the, the, the minefield. And in t- is that is that going to be next episode? Is that going to be two years from now? We don't know. In production terms, they can do it for as long as it's interesting. Right, exactly. All right, well, may, maybe what we can talk about then is kind of the, the change to the status quo that's at the end yeah. of this episode. Because, you know, it is pretty significant. And, you know, Starfleet has been kicked off Deep Space Nine. Yeah, half of the cast, is, in a way, it shifts the premise of the show almost. And I now, I don't know if this is going to be, you know, Cisco comes back in the first episode or if the business of season six is about... Cisco getting back to DS9 and, you know, it's going to show kind of multiple fronts. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how long they're going to keep that up for, but it is a fair— But the fact that you it's would nothing, even think that they would keep them off the station for that long— I mean, it might— —is indicative yeah. of the ways in which Deep Space Nine is kind of pushing at the edges of, of Star Trek. Even if it's going to be something that they do for half a season like they did with Odo's Humanity, for example, that's still a significant time, and that's nothing that uh, TNG ever did. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it will be interesting to compare and contrast you know, what Star Trek Voyager does in that kind of capacity yeah. as well, because, um, you know, spoiler alert, Voyager never really does that sort of thing. Uh, but it doesn't do it for in, in, for interesting reasons. Okay. So we will get to that when we get to Voyager in a, in a year or so. I'm curious. Eh, you shouldn't be that curious. So so Tuvok doesn't have an arc? An arc? A character arc. Uh, sure, he does. Aw. I thought you meant, like, is he like Noah? <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, yeah, okay, so we've got Cisco, we've got Jadzia, we've got O'Brien, we've got Bashir. They're all off the station. You know, all the Starfleet people are off the station. Garrick. Garrick. And, and Garrick. <laughs> um, Odo, Kira, and Goldicott are back together again. In a way, it's almost... It's interesting how that resonates with the, resonates with the mirror universe. Kira has, in effect, become the intendant, at least in terms of her job. Well, I think Gold Ducat is going to be in control of the station. But... No, but st- at this point, you know, yes, nominally in charge, and that's what's going to happen. But at the same time, she does get a. I, I don't know. It is very. In- it again, just to see that the similarities is interesting. Well, I am a little bit confused. Let's say well, about what exactly is going on on Deep Space Nine. Okay. Because... Well, my under my my inter- my my impression of what happened. So Bajor owns Deep Space Nine right now. Yes. Uh, it did for the entirety of the series so far. Yes. Uh, the, the Feder- even though it was built by Cardassians, the Federation has been 
running it and, you know, administering it, but it's still Bejor's. You know, they basically hired the Federation to run their property. So at this point, the Federation has left and Bejor still op- still owns it. We also, I mean, part of it is I, I got the sense that there were certain concessions in the uh, treaty, for example, maybe part of the non-aggression treaty is, you know, we're going to allow a certain amount of Jem'Hadar soldiers just and you can't really say anything about it just as, you know, Switzerland's neutrality meant that they had to take bank deposits from Nazis, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the sense it was kind of that sort of a thing and frankly, if this is the Dominion doing more than is fair for them to do, if this is a very aggressive move by them, what the hell is Bajor going to do about it? Yeah, Bajor's not going to do much about it. And I also think, obviously, that that you know the very end of the episode is so great because you know Cisco's baseball is still there. Yeah, and, you know Gold Ducat as well. It's a message. You know he's coming back, and I like that. We obviously Gold immediately reads it. And yeah, recognizes well, Gold Ducat is. Is, is a smart man. Yeah. Um, sociopath but a smart man yeah and i think that that you know we all know that oh yeah this is not the end of deep space nine no 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 he is coming back this is you know his general uh macarthur moment right right and so you know it does leave i think odo and kira in in interesting places i mean they do have that nice exchange in in call to arms where they basically say yeah we're not doing this yeah they 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 agree to deal with the situation between them by not dealing with it. <laughs> Frankly, both of them are good at kind of suppressing certain personal feelings for the time being because there's other shit to deal with. And both of them feel a little more comfortable in that mode. And they know that if they're going to, I don't know. I, it's so in character for them that, you know, we don't have time to talk about this, you know, and if this is awkward, it's going to make everything worse for us and everybody so yeah 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 and that you know and that scene too is interesting because it it is of a piece of a lot of of scenes in the episode which are kind of both putting a putting a capper either permanently or temporarily on on personal storylines while at the same time you know setting up each character for uh, a future essentially well yeah Worf and Dax Worf and Dax where they basically say like look you know we're gonna be separated for a while but come back to me Which that scene just always like nobody seems into it. I I just there there is a fundamental just disinterest that Dax seems to have in Worf, and I I just don't think they have much chemistry on screen. No, not anymore. It's true. I I I I I don't think they ever did. But that's we can agree to disagree on that. I I I guess it's the kind of thing where I can see why they were initially attracted to one another. I can see why they felt that they had things in common. And all, of, but I think that their relationship is not a permanent one. It's not the one that's going to run the course. This isn't there, and so I, 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 I think that maybe if the Dominion War hadn't happened, they would eventually fizzle out. I think it's interesting that they have to leave it on this moment of no, we'll come back for each other. I suppose so. I mean, I just kind of always get the impression that that. Dax is like, yeah, well, you want me to marry you, so I guess I'll marry you. I mean, what else am I doing? I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm bored. Like, you know, well, like we've said seems... this about her. You know, she can jump into relationships because she knows she's gonna outlive them. 
I mean, it's, yes it, and no. no. I mean, Jadzia Dax is not going to outlive them. No, that's true. Dax will, but, you know, it's always a little weird. But that sets them up for the future. Yeah. Jake is interesting because he decides to stay on the station. This episode has a lot of stuff to do, and it yeah. does it all very well. It moves along at a good clip. I mean, Well, as you Jake, said, the plot of the episode was very simple, and that's kind of the, the point. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, frankly, an advantage of it because it has a very simple plot. There aren't as, you know, too many twists in it. It, we're allowed to do all this really deep character stuff. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because, of course, we don't find out until the very beginning of this episode that Jake is suddenly working for the Starfleet News yeah. Service. Okay, that sounds good to me. Uh, seems like a little bit of a conflict of interest, but all right. I feel like maybe instead of a real news service, it's actually just like a tabloid thing, and so they want him to write all of these sensationalist things about what it's like to have him as his dad. No, it's not. It's a Starfleet News Service. Well, have you ever read it? I yes, think. I have. I worked for them for seven years. Okay, well, this was obviously before it got, you know, desperate for funds. I think it's almost interesting that Cisco seems to think that Jake having this job for the news service is lesser than him writing his novel, uh, which is particularly funny considering that Jake is all of 20 at this point, right? But, yeah, I think uh, he's, yeah. But... Again, part of that is coming from Cisco is a little disconcerted to see this article about himself, but at the same time, I don't know. I would be very proud of my son for having a writing gig at that age, but either way, it's interesting to see the direction that this is another step from the episode where he and Bashir were kind of in that hospital. Yeah. Um, Jake, oddly enough, wants to be a field reporter. He wants to be in the action, and he wants to witness and see things. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And I, yeah, I, I like it. It makes sense for his character. I think that, you know, looking at it, for example, like in the cards and him trying to do this really nice thing for his father and, and, and you know, his father realizing, you know, he's become an adult and he cares about other people's feelings, you know. And then uh, uh, in this episode, he, he has this job and Cisco's not happy about it. And then he decides to stay behind on Deep Space Nine, which, of course, is kind of an impulsive decision. Yeah. But he does say, well, you know, what are they going to do to me? I am the, the uh, you he know. He does have a little bit of protection. Now, he's not invincible. Right. And he can still get into some danger. But at the same time, he's not. Any other human would have a, ver- a horrible time on DS9, would have a very difficult time. But he's at least able to. But I think, I mean, also, I think part of it is, is you know, Jake is still a little bit naive. Oh, yeah. And also, Jake does not necessarily have the most professional attitude towards this because I think that, you know, I don't know that Cisco's reticence about his son working for the Starfleet News Service has, has, I think it has less to do with him being a reporter and more to do with the fact that he didn't tell him. And that's kind of not really ethical. I mean, his, he is the son of the commander of the most prominent space station in the Federation. And it sounds like Jake just like used some quotes that his father said in private in an article, which is not exactly what you should be doing. It's true. There is a difference between something that, for example, if Cisco went to Quarks and had a conversation and and those quotes ended up in the paper – even even if that was a you know personal conversation, it was still said in a public arena. Uh, something that he said to Jake over dinner. It is true that right. that wasn't an interview. And Cisco is usually very good about not telling Jake certain sensitive information, but at the same time, he may have had. There's a difference between something that you say to your family and something that you're not supposed. You know what I mean? Right. Right. 
Yeah. And yeah, I, I guess that's part of it too. Um, I, I don't know. Jake is not good at journalistic ethics. He learned all of his journalistic ethics from the lady who made him write that novel in 30 hours. Oh, geez, her. Yeah, she was great. Um, and then, of course, Ram and Lee to get married. So that happened. Cisco married them. It was all very nice. They had an argument about a dress. I think it's I, I, it's interesting cross. We're told, which makes a lot of sense, that Ferengi... Uh, Ferengi weddings, the bride is naked, and that everyone else, the men, are assumedly clothed, and it has this really... I mean, that sounds terrifying and creepy and, you know, sleazy and horrible. Yeah, and they're it's, Ferengi. Yeah, it's a really interesting cross-reference to Beta Z weddings, where the bride and, frankly, everybody else is naked as a symbol of, you know, their openness, the beauty of love and sex and all of that, and... You know, it, it, it's interesting it being used as, as the vulnerability of the woman in the Ferengi wedding. I don't know if there's anything more to say about that than that. But. No, I think – I mean I think it's consistent with the way that the Ferengi have been developed yeah. in Deep Space Nine. It makes sense for the way in which they, they view their women. And it makes sense, frankly, that Lita would not want to be a part no. of that. You know, and I think that – you know, Quark – doesn't have that much to do. I mean, he is left behind on Deep Space Nine, of course. And, you know, I'm not discounting Rom and Lita's wedding, but again, you know. Eh, it's Rom and Lita's wedding. You, yeah, what are you going to say? It is interesting, I think, more for Quark's reaction to it because, hmm. you know, Quark has always been someone we've said before that that he is definitely becoming more of a, a Federation person or, or whatever. And I think you see that in this episode where, you know, he has his little bit of moments of, of being upset that Lita's wearing a dress and et cetera, et cetera. And he wants to get out of the wedding as soon as possible. But it's not that believable. And also, frankly, you know, his decision to, to stay behind yeah. in Deep Space Nine is, I think, indicative of... You know, yeah, he says that he wants to protect his bar and make money, which, of course, is part of it. But there also is an element to which I think he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah, that's a, and that's an interesting contrast to Garrick, who says as much to Cisco. Uh, at the end, he has to come with them because basically where else is he going to be? He's not going to have a good time on DS9 anymore. It's not a safe place of exile for him. Right, yeah. I think, you know, and that's the interesting thing, too, is that in a sense in this episode, most of the larger plot stuff, and I mean, of course, the big battle at the end and Martok coming in to save the day and, you know, Dax and O'Brien barely getting the, the, the minefield up and operational. Um, those are all important and great and wonderful moments, but... Really what it comes down to is that I think a lot of the meat of this episode is about these these smaller character moments. And in an episode like this, it really makes you realize exactly how deep the bench is for, for Deep Space Nine guest stars and, yeah. and recurring characters. You know, Rom and Lita get their chance to shine. Garrick and Zial get their chance to shine. Garrick Away-oon. finally admits that he is. not Basically, this is the most explicit discussion of Garrick's backstory we've heard him say yeah yeah it's true and of course how much of it is true how much of it is not true we don't know but it is yeah he is he is showing a vulnerability to to Zial that he has not shown anyone perhaps yeah. not even Bashir and we all know that they had sex at some point so Aww. yeah and I think that you know we, we also have Gold Dukat we have Wayun there's there's um, other characters in the show that we barely have seen before and and so it's it's really, really. Uh, I think it speaks to a lot of the strengths of the show. Just Martok, a, Martok, of course, <laughs> who is great. Well, I have to say, so 
we have paid a lot of attention over the series about the difference between shows back then and shows today. And yeah. shows today love killing off characters. They love, you know, anyone can die, you know, and that kind of a thing. I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that. But anyway. I, 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 well, I'm also, you know, but thinking of shows like Lost, for example, which, you know, anybody, any character would be on. That was kind of the, pre- the premise of that show. Uh, Breaking Bad would put a lot of, you know, maybe not its major cast, but secondary cast would kill off. Um, so The Sopranos. That's this thing shows are much more comfortable with doing. Um, now, obviously, they're not going to kill off any – I know because it, this is a show in the late 90s. They're not going to kill off any of the main cast. Right. Uh, but I don't quite know what the deal is with the secondary cast as far as that's concerned. And it is very – frankly, going in, while I'm not maybe worried about Cisco, I'm very worried about Martok and Garrick and – all, you know, though people like that be Glita. Yeah. Because frankly, they could kill off Martok. They could. Yeah. When, when they have him going off, to, when, when he's in this episode, when he's going and, you know, he's trying to hold off the fleet. I thought, all right, we're not going to see Martok again. I was surprised he survived this episode, frankly, but... Martok is just that much of a badass. Oh, no, and I, I, I agree that he probably is, but... No, I think that's actually a good point, and I, I, I think that this episode also speaks to the fact that, you know, the show is obviously willing to to upend the, the status quo of its, of its yes. concept. And, you know, to that degree, I think you're right. I think, you know, I'm not going to say whether or not, you know, any recurring characters die or not, but... Uh, it, it is an interesting thing that it's a possibility, and it's also an interesting thing that uh, uh, the status quo has been upended so much. And now, of course, okay, well, the, the cards are all off the table now. Yeah, you know, essentially, you know, I mean, let's not forget Nog, for example. Like, you know, he's in Starfleet. Yeah, you know, he's a recurring character, but he could easily die. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not saying that anybody does die, but you know, no, no, but but I I get. I guess why I like this show is because I – again, if I'm watching a show where they're killing off characters left and right after a while, I just get bored with it. You, yeah. you eventually have difficulty connecting with any of the characters. Uh, if you don't but you leave the possibility open, like I said, I'm very worried for all of the secondary cast right now. Yeah, and of course now there's a war starting, so we'll 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 never see. We'll, yeah. we'll never know what's going to happen. Essentially, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that everybody I know right now is not going to make it. That might be accurate. It may not be, but it might be. I'm just being very, very cryptic because because that's what you do. That's what I do. And I guess the last thing to talk about before we wrap this uh, this episode of the podcast up is. The big space battle. I mean, this is yeah. the biggest battle that has ever been seen on Star Trek. Uh, the space battles in this series have been very good in general, but yeah. And that, frankly, I, I especially loved that shot at the end with the all the Federation ships and, you know, holy shit, we're at war. Like, yeah. That was that was an ama- the the last few shots of this episode were phenomenal. Just you know, him with the baseball, then Cisco looking badass and terrifying, and then the fleet. Yeah, yeah. An interesting thing about uh, the ending of that as well is that um, it was not their intention for because they they sort of were not happy with the special effects at the end of the episode, hmm. and the reason why is that they did not write the Defiant and and um, what is the name of of Martok's ship? I feel bad for not remembering. <laughs> 
the I don't know the bacow the moth or something the hapow no it's not that uh that's really gonna bother me now anyway it's not important keep keep going Eric uh is that um they did not want to imply that they were joining the fleet and then suddenly next season was going to be like you know the next episode they were going to go back to Deep Space Nine. That is not what they intended to imply. Whether or not that's what happens or not. Well, I mean, like, what what I got from that is that they are just joining the fleet uh, because uh, shit's gone down and, you know, now the Federation needs to figure their shit out. So, you know, I I don't necessarily think that Cisco is going to be in, you know, active space battles for the rest of the next season. But, you know, they need to they need they're This is a strategic retreat that the Federation is doing and they're going to tactical. Tactical retreat. I don't know the difference. <laughs> um, it may be both, actually. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, for example, that this kind of belies the whole thing. I mean, Starfleet is not a military organization, but uh, they're pretty damn good at it. Well, I mean, of course they are because they're the heroes of the show, but... Oh, well, I know it's non-canonical, but if you're a patron, you've listened to our, our episode on the novel Federation, um, which goes a little into that, and it talks about how Starfleet does have to the exploration and the kind of more military aims and talks about the balance between the two of them. Yeah. But um, the sense you get, frankly, is that Starfleet loves the exploration, the diplomacy, but also knows that it's a dangerous galaxy and needs to repair itself. And again, you have an organization which is getting the best and the brightest. You know, you tell people, all right, we're going into dangerous territory, get us some protection. So they're going to become really good at military stuff as just – I, they're just by 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 being on it. Well, and also I think too that that you know what what's really sort of um, indicative of that is is the hard decision that Starfleet makes in this episode to essentially abandon Deep Space Nine um, to to destroy the, the Dominion shipyards, which you know yeah. is indicative of that's more important than Deep Space Nine. Well, and, and, and also and, and also that they they know that they will get the job done and the mine, the wormhole will be mined. Well, the, again, this is a. This put this kind of puts the truth to Kai Wynn's assertion. You know, you can't. Can you guarantee that no Jemadar ships would? You know, a single Jemadar wouldn't get on the planet again. This is them demonstrating that the the Federation cannot Starfleet cannot be everywhere at once. It has to choose between uh, DS Nine or this other target. It yeah. can't just sh- shoot an infinite number of ships at them. Right. It can. Yeah. Um, and now that they destroy the Dominion shipyards, neither can the Dominion. Mm. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on In the Cards or Call to Arms, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. If you remember the name of Martok's ship, we will give you one point if you're the first person to uh, – we can have like a very long game. And at the very end of Trekabout, we'll give a prize to whoever has more than five points. You're in charge of keeping track of that. We're going to make sure there's only four opportunities to get points. And this is the first one, so write in. <sighs> Patreon.com slash Show is where you can go to give us a little bit of our monetary support for the podcast on an ongoing basis. And GoFundMe.com slash Show is where you can go to give us a one-off donation of support for our goal of new equipment. And then once we reach that goal of new equipment, we will be done with GoFundMe. I don't know. If we get like a million dollars, we can get some bling, right? Sure. Yeah, we can get some bling. Okay. I'll get you a uh, Klingon uniform made entirely out of velour. So a Blingon uniform. There you go. You got what I was putting down. Yeah. Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is Truck About Show. 
And of course, we have another podcast tuning in, the eighth episode of which on uh, the episode of Firefly Out of Gas is being released in two days. And of course, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truck About Show. We would very much appreciate it. Next week, sixth season of Deep Space Nine. Oh my God. It's starting. Oh my God. Oh, and I should mention as well. What? We released a new patron special. We did. On the movie Forbidden Planet. Oh. So. Speaking of theremin. Speaking of theremin. So maybe you'll get that one if you give us money to our GoFundMe for new equipment. Maybe you won't. Who knows? It's Richard's choice. <sighs> All right. Next week on Trekking About, we're going to be talking about the episodes A Time to Stand and Rocks and Shoals.